Hey there, educational rock stars. Are you feeling overwhelmed with lesson planning for your English language learners? Well, I've got some exciting news for you. Introducing our upcoming free webinar, Simplify Your Approach, Three Time-Saving Routines for ELL Success. Join me for a power-packed 45 minutes that's set to revolutionize your teaching strategy. In this webinar, we'll dive into three practical, easy-to-implement routines that will not only enhance your ELL teaching methods, but also save you hours of planning time. Yes, hours. So whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, these insights are tailored to help everyone make the most of their teaching time. Plus, you'll leave this webinar ready to implement these routines the next day. So mark your calendars for our two upcoming dates. I don't want you to miss this opportunity to transform your ELL lesson planning. To reserve your spot, simply sign up at www.equippingells.com slash routines. Trust me, your future self will thank you for it. I'll see you at the webinar. Teaching ELL students is a privilege and a joy. Is it easy? No way. But with the right support, you can feel empowered to tackle each day with ease and confidence. I'm your host, Beth Boucher, founder of Inspiring Young Learners. With over 10 years of teaching both nationally and internationally, I know what it takes to ensure that your ELL students have what they need to thrive today, tomorrow, and for life. I'm on a mission to empower you to equip your English language learners. Welcome to Equipping ELLs. Let's get to today's episode. Well, welcome, Gina, to the show. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thanks, Beth. I'm excited, too. Like I've mentioned in the previous episodes, these few episodes that I'm recording with members of my Equipping LLs group are just really helpful for all of us to hear insights into what's working in schools across the country as they're supporting ELLs, because we know that it is not a one-size-fits-all. We know that every group of students is different, and so it's really been insightful and such a joy inside the community to get to hear what people are doing to support their English language learners. So Gina is joining us today from Iowa, Northwest Iowa, and she has been working with K-8 through ELLs, or pre-K-8, through you said, ELLs this year. So wearing multiple hats, as many of us do who are ESL teachers. And I'm just super excited to have you here so you can share with us some of your wisdom and insight of reaching your English language learners. So let's dive in right away and get started with just why don't you share with us about your educational experience and what your role looks like now. Okay, so this, I just finished my 18th year in education. I actually spent my first nine years as a para. And then I, I kind of got started when my my oldest was in preschool. I was not working full time at the at that time. And when I would drop her off at school, they would ask me if I could stay. And that ended up kind of being five days a week. I was staying to help kind of volunteer. And very shortly that turned into, we're just gonna hire you because we need a part-time parent. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. So then I did that for a year. 
And then they hired me full-time to work one-on-one with a special education student. And I actually ended up following my oldest daughter all the way from preschool through fourth grade. And then in that time, I decided it, it was time to go back to school. Went back with three small children. So she was my oldest. And then I still had had two little ones. So it was it was a very interesting process. I did it all online, which was it was nice, but you kind of missed out on that camaraderie. Luckily, I had lots of family and friends to help me out. Got through that, decided to go right into getting my master's. And now I just finished my ninth year of teaching. <laughs> I did my first three years in special education, high school special education. Never intended to work with high school, but it was it was a fun experience. I did get burned out rather quickly, administrative problems. And then a, a job opened in a nearby school district for ELL. And I had my endorsement and a friend of mine said, why don't you come here, try this out? And so I did. And I I worked in that district for five years doing ELL. It was kind of a jump in with both feet because I really had no clue what I was doing. You don't get a lot of training when you just have the endorsement, especially here in Iowa. I'm not sure what it's like other places, but here you just, you don't get a lot. So I kind of was making things up as I went. I found that I absolutely loved it. I was still getting that small group teaching that I really, really enjoyed and wanted to do, but I was having much more better relationships with with the students I was working with, and I felt like I was able to do so much more. I was absolutely loving learning about the cultures that my kids were coming from, especially when I started getting many, many, many Pacific Islanders from the Federated States of Micronesia. About 80% of my population became Micronesian. And, and it was it was so fun to learn from them and, and learn about their culture. So and and then I actually got to come to my home district. I was driving 45 miles or 45 minutes every day. And and now I'm I am uh, I'm at home. So I have a five-minute commute. <laughs> <laughs> so this past year was my first year here and I went from K12 to K down to K8 and and it's kind of a, a more intimate group but I I'm really enjoying it. That's wonderful. And yeah, I agree with you. I have my ESL certificate and my bilingual certificate and the training that's done is really it's there like the philosophy of of teaching ELs but the practicality really is lacking in my experience as well where you're getting in, you're like, wait, I was learning about linguistics and now how do I apply this to teaching you? I don't know. <laughs> we, I, I also do some teaching at the college level and we have a program at the college that I teach at that I could go back and do my master's in, in TESOL and I'm very much considering it, but chalking myself into going back to school again is, is catching me up a little bit. So <laughs> Well, hey, we congratulate you for getting your, you know, going back to school, getting your master's all with young kids at home. That's really, it's really a feat and an accomplishment. So, all right, let's move into, you know, a fascinating question I love to hear from others is what your role looks like in your school and, you know, what just the model, do you, are you the only ESL teacher in your school? Do you guys try to do push in, pull out? 
co-teaching. Just share a little bit more about what that looks like for you. Okay. Our district is now in two buildings. Our elementary and middle school just recently got updated and we are in one building now. And then our high school is separate. So there are actually two of us that are doing ELL this year. I've got the elementary and middle school, and then I have a a colleague that has the high school. We don't have very many high school students at the moment. I think we only have six so she is also the special educa- one of the special education teachers at the high school. And, and so she's covering those so that I don't have to travel back and forth. If it gets to the point where there are more, I will probably take over and do K- K-12 again, just, just because she does have a large special education roster. But I typically do pull out. It's difficult. They want me to pull out during their reading blocks and... I don't necessarily want to do that because I feel like they really need to be in the classroom for their reading blocks, but being the only ELL teacher and having nine to 10 grade levels with preschool through eighth grade, it's very hard to do any push in and co-teaching when I've got so many different grade levels and so many schedules. Yes. So I know I, a lot of other teachers are in the same boat as you is, you know, really stretched across multiple grade levels. But a question that gets brought up frequently is how do you schedule your, your groups? Are you doing it just by grade level? Do you do, do you group across grade levels with language levels? I try to do groupings of ability level, but I have found that it has, it's so hard to do that because of specials getting in the way, the scheduling that that happens for the gen ed classrooms is is so hard that I I typically do grade level. And then within my grade levels, I I either break them into smaller groups that are closer to their ability levels, or I just take the whole group and and we just differentiate with a couple kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's really ESL teachers have to, I mean, all teachers wear multiple hats, but ESL teachers even more of, of the juggling act of within grade levels, within language levels, trying to differentiate for them all. And that's the hard part is there's not, there's not good guidance on, on what to do or how to do it. So we just kind of make it up as we go. Yes. And that can be so exhausting to feel you know, to, to have that weight on you to plan for all those different groups and, you know, to plan rigorous and quality lessons, it can be really exhausting. Hey, teachers, I'm interrupting this episode to ask you a quick question. How different would your life be if you could confidently plan effective and engaging lessons for your yellow students in a fraction of the time? I created my membership equipping ELLs to do just that. When you join, you gain instant access to the exact resources you need, proven and prepped for you, plus a supportive private community of like-minded educators. Join us today at www.equippingells.com. Now back to the episode. Are there any things that you do as we're heading back into the school year? Any tips that you have of ways that you prepare kind of beforehand for meeting all those different groups of students? I spend a lot of time 
comparing my my ELPA scores. We do ELPA 21 here in Iowa. I'm not sure if if that's better or or worse than than WIDA. I've heard a lot of great things about some of the parts of WIDA, but I spend a lot of time looking at at their test results. I actually was able to get mine in the middle of May this year. So I had them before the kids were out of school and, and had a chance to, to meet with some of them and kind of talk about them. But over the summer, I spend that time looking at those test scores and really figuring out where, where my kids deficits are and what we need to focus on for the next year. I try not to teach to the test because I, I don't want them to feel like I want them to exit. I want to make sure that I'm giving them what they need in order to be successful in, in their core classes and not have to worry about that language barrier. Luckily, I don't have a lot of kids who are low level. I have a lot of level threes. They're right there in the middle. And, and it's kind of crazy. Typically, I would say that the writing or the speaking is what's holding them up. And I have just a different group here. And it's all across the board. I have kids that their their lowest area is everything. So it, that takes a little bit more looking at when I'm, when I'm kind of planning for what I want to do for the next year. No two years have ever looked the same. <laughs> everything is always different. <laughs> I think that's, again, going back to, you know, just uh, not just planning all these group lessons and meeting all these different needs, but every group is different. You know, working with fourth grade every single year with the same level three students and it really personality plays a big role. The cultural background of your students plays a big role, a lot of different factors. So it really, it's really a lot to try to take on by yourself to figure this out. Now, share, you shared with us in one of the Equipping ELLs meetings about some success this year of exiting some of your students. Will you share that story with us? Because it was really exciting. So I have, our district is not large. There's, we have 500 kids in just our elementary, and that would be preschool through fourth grade. So we, that's kind of gives you an idea of how big our district is. And I have my roster, I've got 46 kids right now. Typically in a year, I will exit one or two. Some years I've had a roster up to 60. So it kind of varies. But this year I exited six kids and I was pleasantly shocked when I, when I got the results. I had some that surprised me. I had Two kindergartners that I knew they would be done within in the year, and they were. And then I had another one who I really did not expect her to exit, but it was a good thing. Older sister has been exited for a couple of years, and and I think it was good. But one of my my best one, we had a family move into the district from Cuba at the beginning of not this. 21-22 school year, but the 2021 school year. And they came in with absolutely no English. And from, from what I have been told, they they were pretty terrified. Dad had come over early and then had spent some time working and saving up to 
to bring the rest of his family over. So they, the two boys came in, they started out in first and second grade. So they were very young. The great thing about this family is they are very motivated and, and dad is very motivated to help his boys be successful. He wants, he wants his family to have a better life and better opportunities than, than he had growing up. And my, so this year they were in second and third grade. And when I met them at the beginning of last school year, I was shocked that they had only been in the country for a year. The teacher before me, she actually, there was a para that, that worked in, in this classroom who did a great majority of, of the teaching of the students, especially with these two boys, just because of scheduling. And she spent a, a lot of time, she, they would go outside, they would go on walks, she would point at things and, and either say what they were or have them try to come up with the English words. And she just spent a lot of time repeating and, and she was a, a big help for these boys. Unfortunately, I did not get her this year. We had with staff shortages as we've all had, I didn't get to have her until the very end of the year. When I met these boys, I was just, I was shocked at, at how, how well they were doing and, and their vocabulary for being second and third graders. Some of the words that they knew, they just have a very, very vast vocabulary and they are very intelligent young men. We actually put them both in tag this year, got them started in tag and, and they were doing quite well. But my third grader was able to exit this year. And the, the look and joy on his face when, when I got to tell him was fun, but then I got to make the phone call home to dad and over the phone, you could just hear dad, you know, choking up a little bit and you could just hear the pride in his voice. And, and he said that when he, when his son came home, he was going to welcome him home with, with lots of praise. And, and it just made melt my heart, melted, melt my heart, <laughs> made my heart melt. And it, so it was pretty, pretty fun. And I'm sure that his brother will exit this year because he's right there behind him. <laughs> And that's, I mean, those are the stories that we want to celebrate and, and share because the days can get really, really difficult, feel discouraging a lot of times, but it, to remember the impact that you're having on these, these kids who you are giving them a better life and, you know, better opportunities and just the whole family as well. So that's just when you shared that story, I was like, we got to get this out of the podcast. <laughs> and, and to be considered proficient in English in you know, less than two years is just phenomenal. And I love that, you know, and this is a big thing with working with ESL students is being able to identify those students who, even if the language isn't there, like you're saying, you're already identified them as tag kids, you're putting them in those programs, you're challenging them, even if that language is still developing and having that mindset to see their strengths and not just say, oh, well, they're still learning English. So, we're not going to even focus on them, you know, of, of seeing if they might be gifted or they might have some other abilities to, because that's when they really deep dive into school. If they're invested like that, they get that challenge. They see that there's teachers who, who are looking out for them, who have high expectations for them, who care for them. 
and they're going to soar. So can't wait to hear where they continue to go. I'm excited. (laughs) All right. You know, so what do you share? Does your school provide you with a curriculum or materials or what does that look like in terms of what the school provides you in order to support your students? So in both districts that I have worked in as ELL teacher, I have walked into the classroom and found just kind of a hodgepodge of materials. I've seen anything from really, really old materials that are so outdated you can't work with. I've got partial National Geographic programs, which are excellent. They they have some really good parts to them, but a lot of the things that are built for for ELLs are they they're not really made with all ELL students in mind and they're they're kind of targeted to one group and and it doesn't really fit students so it's really hard to kind of pick and choose what you want to use so typically i have just kind of gone through seen what's in the cupboards teachers pay teachers is my best friend <laughs> I spent way too much money there. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's hard because there's there's no set. And work when I was doing K-12 ELL, my biggest frustration, even, even with middle school, is the the expectation by by some that you are there to help them finish their homework. And and I I fought for the first couple of years that I I was doing ELL, I kept thinking, this isn't right. This is not, this isn't what I'm doing. And and I tried to make the best of it and and work in those that work on English while I'm trying to help them do their homework. But then I started looking at it. I was trying to do one teacher's work in one period <laughs> that they got eight periods a day to, to complete. And I was, I was stressing myself out. I was overwhelmed and and I couldn't do it anymore. And so I started fighting for the fact that I needed to be doing my work, not being a para for the students and teachers to get homework done. I was able to get it to the point where I could do my own work my own curriculum with the students, which was still difficult because I was still piecing things together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's that's such a huge point to make, especially for you know those who are listening that are newer ESL teachers. Is it's really important, just as much as we advocate for our students, advocating for your own respect and position, because sadly, it is sometimes seen as a glorified homework helper or a, a para that's in the, if, especially if your school's pushing a co-teaching model, but not giving you the time to plan and talk through things. So it is really important because you're going to get burnt out really easily if you're trying to, you know, just appease each of the homeroom teachers, but not giving your students the language support that they need and deserve, which is what you a bring. Couple, yeah. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I did with my special education background, I finally decided that I needed more of a plan. So I actually st- created my own individualized learning plan 
for my students. I, I looked to see what was out there and, and I wasn't really finding what I wanted. So I kind of, I took bits and pieces of ones that I was finding that I did like, and, and I kind of built my own learning plan for my students. And, and now I have one for every student, kindergarten through eighth grade. And, and it's helpful for me to know what my students need. It's all right there, black and white. And I can also have, give a copy to all of their homeroom teachers and, and, they know exactly what the students are working on, what my goals for them are, what their goals for themselves are, and and where, what areas they can help with in the classroom, just to support what I'm doing in my room. You know, kind of turn it around. Yeah. No, and I think that's great advice is if you are in that position where you're feeling like the homeroom teachers aren't respecting you or you know, they're not really taking time to communicate with you, having some sort of communication plan like that, or you can send it through email and just share it and refer back to it and say, here's the goals we're working on. Like, what are you doing in the classroom that's helping them reach these goals? Here's some strategies you can use that will help them reach these goals. This is what I'm working on when I'm with them, you know, and pulling out. And and I think that is huge to really build that sense of trust and foundation of clarity. I found so many homeroom teachers desire to work and help support these students but they just are overwhelmed and lost and don't know where to start either. So having those clear set goals for each quarter is really, really helpful to kind of begin those, those baby steps of you can do this. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's enjoyable once you know what you're doing, you know, it's not, it's yes. not shifting a lot of what they're doing. It's just having a little bit of a mindset that's okay. Here's, here's the language piece that I need to bring in. And, and some of these teachers, you know, we're, we're in a very rural community and having kids come in that speak no English is very new to a lot of the teachers. I had had a situation this year where all of a sudden second semester, I got lots of newcomers <laughs> and for us, lots was five. And I, I had one that was going to go into third grade and a funny story. They they were coming from the Dominican Republic, no English. Mom did speak some English and and they came in for their very first day and, and we were down in the third grade pod area, getting them kind of all settled, getting her all settled into our classroom. And all of a sudden the ceiling starts dripping. And then it starts dripping a little more. <laughs> And all of a sudden we had a flood coming out of the ceiling. It was the end of January in Iowa, which means occasionally pipes freeze and burst. The bad part is we are in the new part of the building. So <laughs> probably shouldn't be happening. So on the very first day, all of a sudden we have this giant flood happening in in the third grade area. And, and my poor student and the family is just they jumped right in. They wanted to help. They were like, we're trying to get kids and, and book bags and coats and snow pants and everything out of the way, out of the water. And they wanted to jump right in. But, you know, then I could tell after mom and dad left and we had all the kids in the gym because you know, what else do we do with them? <laughs> you could just kind of see the the overwhelm start start setting in. And, and you know, as, as teachers, we're all kind of running around crazy what do we do? You know, trying to make sure that we've got everybody safe and, and ready to go. But my poor third grade teacher was also at a point where she was just 
she's like, I don't know if I can do this. I, I've never had a student that doesn't speak English. I, I don't know. I don't know Spanish. I can't communicate with her. And I'm like, it's okay. I'm like, first of all, you've got me, so I will help you. And I don't speak Spanish either. So, you know, we will, we will make this work. We got the say hi app installed and, and use that the first couple of days to kind of get, get it going. And, and, but it, it's, after a couple of weeks of working with the student, she came into my room the one day and she's like, this is the best experience ever. She's like, I absolutely love this little girl. She is just amazing. I am learning so much from her. And it's just fun to, to hear when that, when that switch flips and, and they realize that they're not scary. It can be overwhelming, but they're not scary. <laughs> It really is one of the most enjoyable things to, you know, students to teach just to be able to support students yes. and see them light up when they remember. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I love that. When those homeroom teachers catch that too, of, this is really awesome. So yep. <laughs> that's great. So let's end, Gina, you joined us in equipping ELLs. Was it this last year that you joined? Yes, actually in Let's see. I've been in for about a year. So about six months before that, I had come across your ELL Strategy Academy, either on Teachers Pay Teachers or Facebook somewhere. I had come across it and I decided that I wanted to do it. So I had purchased it and I kind of forgot about it. And then at the end of last school year, somehow I kind of came across your website again and I'm like, Oh, this is great. And, and I had, I had responded to a post on Facebook and you were doing a giveaway for the, the strategy Academy. And I responded to the post and, and won. <laughs> and then you had sent me an email and said, you already have this. <laughs> so I, I had to go back and find it. <laughs> and so I actually had had the strategy Academy for a while and, and had forgotten about it. And and I went back and watched all of the modules with that. And, and I was just like, okay, this is amazing. This is what I need. This is kind of a, a game plan, kind of my support system. And so then I, I got into uh, equipping ELLs and, and the materials are, are amazing. Just having that ability to have something that is at my kids level, but not just at an individual level, it's, I can use the materials with all of my kids, I, you know, just tweaking and teaching a little bit differently. But the biggest thing that I do in the summer is I print and laminate because <laughs> I do a lot of my very small groups. So I do a lot of just hands-on. We do a lot of writing with dry erase on, on lamination. And so it's just been I think personally and professionally, it's been great for me because I've found something that that works. And then when you throw in the the collaboration pieces that you offer with with the monthly meetings, there are times that I get mad at myself because I can't log in or or I miss it, and then I I'm mad because I'm like I needed that I needed my I needed my bath time, and it, and it's it you know just getting to know some of the other, the other teachers from across the world. I mean, there's, 
we're not we're not all in the states and and just getting to know everybody has been it's been nice to know that I'm not on an island because a lot of times I feel like I'm an island and so now I have an island that includes more people. <laughs> exactly. I mean an island's great. You just don't get alone. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's the heart of, of what it is, is thinking of what you were sharing about the curriculum going and and finding what's in these cupboards. I had the same experience, you know, I mean, you'd find something that would be great. I remember finding this vocabulary program when I was teaching second grade in Chicago and looking at it and saying, this is awesome vocabulary. Why are we not using this? Well, they wouldn't reorder the books. Only half the program was there. And so it's like, you get excited because you think, here's something that's going to help me save time and really give my students what they need, this vocabulary support. And then it's, oh, no, that's only half there and that's not going to work. And so just that constant search of what can I use? And, you know, like you said, so many of these big curriculums are for ELLs, but like we said, ELLs, every student is so different. And that's really the heart behind the resources inside Equipping ELLs is, here's a resource that you can use. You can differentiate higher. You can differentiate lower. You can use it for multiple groups because I see you. I see the ESL teachers that are planning for multiple groups, multiple grade levels and exhausted and feeling. I mean, I felt like I'm never finding the lesson that I want. I'm spending so much time and then I come to teach and I'm not excited about it because I feel like this isn't what I wanted to do. And now I'm not really giving my students what they need. And I think that's where that community piece comes in too, of just that affirmation of you are doing what you're supposed to do. You know, I think going back to your six students exiting, you didn't make the test the priority. You made the relationships and giving them what they specifically need the priority. And then the outcome, you see students exit because they're getting the foundation they need. They're getting that that strong foundation so that they're going to be able to go through the rest of their school years and really, you know, really excel. But sometimes we need somebody else to tell us that and say, hey, you don't need a lesson plan all the time. I was joking with Jen, who's in our group and saying, I think we should rename this to like Lesson Planners Anonymous. <laughs> like we're, It's a support group. We're helping you <laughs> get back your life, not planning lessons all the time. Because what we've seen is even if you plan all the time, it doesn't mean that your lesson's are better. <laughs> Sometimes we just get on that cycle. Or or you do all that planning and then you know, two kids are gone. And then and you know, two kids isn't isn't a big deal unless, you know, your group is only three people big. <laughs> and then it's like, well, okay, we're gonna do something different today because <laughs> you don't it's it's hard. It's it's a hard job. It, you know, some people think that well, I don't do special education anymore. Things must be so much easier. Well, you know, in a way, yes, because I don't have the IEPs, right? I don't, I don't have all the paperwork, but the challenges are completely different. And, and the, you know, even, even every time I get a, a newcomer that I know is coming in, I know that I get more worked up than I need to. And after they've been here for a couple of weeks, I'm like, why do you keep doing that? Why do you keep stressing yourself out just because you know they're coming? It's it's the same. It's it's different, but it's the same every time they come. And and you know, it just you get to know them, and and that's the best thing that we can do. It's a hundred percent. That's so true. 
All right, Gina. Well, it is getting late and I want to let you get back to your day, but thank you so, so much for coming on the episode and sharing with us about your experience. It was really, really insightful. So thanks. And if you want to join us inside Equipping LLs, you can come join us. Like Gina said, the community, I mean, I like the resources because I've created them, but the community is by far the best part of it all. So we have about 500 members now and just really passionate advocates for English language learners desiring to figure out and and keep learning of what's best of how to support these students. So if you are looking for that type of community, come join us inside Equipping ELLs. All right, Gina, thanks so much. Have a great day. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're looking for even more support and done-for-you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.